At 10 p.m. Eastern Time, February 24th, Russia launched an invasion of Ukraine, starting the first major war in Europe since World War II. This came as a shock, even though Western leaders had been warning of the invasion for months. The Russian troops entered from Belarus, Russia, Luhansk, People's Republic, and Crimea. In the early stages of the war, the main target was Kyiv, with the Russian forces coming as close as 15 miles from the capital. After more than a month of brutal fighting around the capital and a great show of leadership by Zelensky, the Ukrainian for forces pushed back the by far more powerful army. When the invasion first started, I remember rushing to the TV. I watched until 4 in the morning, expecting Ukraine to surrender. But they did not. Day after day, they survived. Something I remembered hearing on invasion night was that there was no comparison of the Ukrainian army to the Russian army. Over a hundred days later, as atrocities of the Russian forces continue to emerge, Ukraine is still holding on and ferociously fighting in the east. Today, I will be interviewing a dear friend of mine who went to volunteer at the Polish and Ukrainian border to help the biggest refugee crisis with 8 million people displaced and 14 million people who have fled since World War II. This is Gwen, and this is Unpacking the Tussle. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Tell me a bit about yourself. So, my name is Dennis Markham. Yeah. I, I live in, on Pleasant Street in Walpole with my wife, Christina. Um, I grew up, uh, I came up here first and moved up here in the mid-70s to mm -hmm. Walpole and have lived in this neck of the woods, a couple of different houses ever since that time. Um, I grew up in North Jersey and in the, in the Catskills of New York where we'd go every summer to my grandfather's cabin and nice. with an outhouse and uh, a pump for water and and swim in the lake and play in the woods. Sounds um, great. Now you live in Walpole. And now I live in Walpole. <laughs> So, uh, what inspire, inspired you to go to the Polish and Ukrainian border to uh, do some work? I think, um, you know, there's a lot going on in the world yeah. right now. Yeah, news and, is overwhelming right now. And, and yes, it is. It, it sure can be. And um, there's, I guess, there's two reasons, or two kinds of reasons. First of all, the the courage of the Ukrainians, mm -hmm. and um, their their courage in the face of an onslaught, which yeah. everyone thought was going to destroy them. that their response, as well as the generosity of the poles in receiving mm -hmm. those the refugees who were headed their way. Like I know when I first saw that Ukraine was being invaded, one thing I heard was that there was no comparison of the armies because there really wasn't right and like everybody expected them to like fall within a couple of days and even like the major world governments right. like the Not UK the, that wasn't just you or me that yeah was that the, the military like, experts the UK like was just saying that Ukraine is like possible to fall within like n like a couple of days on like February 25th or right. 26 when Kiev was getting attacked so man yeah. just crazy it was stunning so a surprise to everybody um I can remember listening to uh, Volodymyr Zelensky. Well, the U.S. said, can we get you out of there? Mm -hmm. Can we fly out of there? He said, uh, no, just help me. Yeah. I'm not leaving. And that inspired anybody who's paying attention. Yeah, definitely. Think, not just me. Um, 
And the other thing is that, you know, so many of the troubles that beset us, like what's going on in schools right now and, mm -hmm. and yeah, mass shootings, those things are, there isn't a place you can go to to make it stop. Um, it's much more widespread. There is a place mm -hmm. you can go to to help these people. Yeah. At least I, I, I felt that there was and so did some exploring. What um, organization did you go with? So there's, there's a lot of organizations yeah. over there, a lot of people doing good work. Um, and also a lot of individuals, freelancers doing good work, but the wonderful organization that my friend Peter Stolle and I, who also lives in town, uh, went to was called the World Central Kitchen. And, um, you know, easy to find online, W-C-K. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they're doing great work. And that outfit, I, I, it started, I mean, I didn't know a lot about them before I went over there, actually, to mm -hmm. tell you the truth. But um, they started in 2010 when, when that horrible earthquake in Haiti, and they began feeding people, and then they realized the first thing you need after a disaster is some food to eat, some good food to yeah. eat, some decent food, some clean water. So they started, and they're now showing up wherever bad things are happening. And war, of course, is one of those things. This outfit was in was feeding people in Ukraine the day after the war started. Wow, the day after the war started. Like I remember, like the the, the invasion night. I was watching this live stream. Like they had these little live streams live of Kiev, and like, like. 1 a.m. No, more like 11 a.m. There was just like these mile-long cars. It, it was insane how many people were leaving. Yeah, yeah. And like I think today there's like 12 million people or something who have, have left. left, and then yeah. 8 million people who are displaced. And it, I think it's really amazing that we were able to feed them the day after the war started. They began feeding the day yeah. after the war started. Right now, I think they have made... The last tally I heard, this is sometime in the middle of last week, this World Central Kitchen, the outfit that, that I was working for, had mm -hmm. produced 24 million meals over this period of time um, to people in need. Um, and that's both in Poland as they came out and where they came out of, uh, from the Ukrainian borders, but also they're feeding people in Ukraine. And the way they do that is they they make agreements with local restaurants that are probably shut down on account of the war, and they provide them the food and they pay them to bring their employees back and and provide free food for mm -hmm. for people who, who need it. And they're it's the kind of outfit where they're not asking questions. Um, they're just saying, if you're hungry, we'll give you food, and you don't need an ID card or you don't need you know all this stuff, and and um, one interesting point that was one of the fellows in our in our Airbnb in our not Airbnb in a B and B. Mm he -hmm. was an ex Marine uh, fighter pilot, and he pointed out we were in this place called what they call Tent City, where all the NGOs are, right on the other side of the border. And he said, this place wouldn't be here in the way that it is without the kitchen, the World Central Kitchen, because. They're feeding everybody. They're feeding the refugees, of course, but they're also feeding all the NGO volunteers, who also, turns out, they need to eat as well. 
Yeah. So, so they they kind of created an environment just by having food. An environment that allowed these other NGOs to do their work. Because mm. we weren't in a place where there were restaurants and yeah. Shop, you know, this was pretty desolate place. Were you in like a, a rural area or something? Um, farmland. Yeah. I'd say uh, gently rolling farm, beautiful farmland. I mean, uh, around here, it, it, it looked like it looked like New England's best bottomland farming to me. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, rich, dark soil, which was we were there in the springtime, so the fields were plowed. You know, the the some of them still had, I guess, winter wheat in them. And then others were the new crops were so, going in. Man, it's really interesting. That it was just beautiful there, but yeah. you know, hey, what what day was this? I'm just trying to. Oh, uh, April seventeen, eighteen. Yeah. So we arrived the day before our Easter, um, which was a week before the Orthodox yeah. Easter. So the Ukrainians celebrate Orthodox Easter, which is uh-huh. a week after we celebrated ours. So what was that? The eighteenth. Of uh, April, yeah, and we were there for my co-conspirator. I call him the co-conspirator, uh-huh. Peter Stolle, and I were there for ten days, and uh, we worked uh, for seven days in the kitchen, and then spent well a day getting to the place, and a day getting back, and then a day meeting someone in uh, in Krakow, who um, was one of the wonderful you know volunteers over there, and it'd be worth talking about her at some point because. She's one of the remarkable people. Man, it's just really interesting to think that you're in such, you know, a beautiful place, but, like, places similar to that were just getting destroyed. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, how close were you to the border? Um, we The kitchen where I worked, it was a old warehouse, 25,000 square feet, which the yeah. World Central Kitchen had transformed in a week into a working kitchen. That was seven miles from the border, but where where Peter and I stayed was on the border, basically. A little town called Medica, M-E-D-Y-K-A. Hmm. And uh, you have to spell these Polish words because yeah. some of them you look at them and just like, how what the, the heck? heck? What the heck? <laughs> who, who thought of this language? Yeah. <laughs> they probably look at our language and, and maybe say the same thing, but it certainly was a challenge for us. The, the town where we worked in, in the kitchen, was called Przemysl, and you spell that P-R-Z-E-M-Y-S-L. So okay, you know you I'm not, not going to judge. You or can anything? write that on the board in yeah. in in, 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 uh, in your classroom and see. Ask people if they they can figure out how to say that. But I believe the way to say it is Przemysl. How close were you to, like, Russia? Were you close to, like, Lviv or anything? Um, Lviv, I don't exactly know, but I think it was more like uh, like an hour and a half, two hours okay. east of us. Hmm, interesting. Um, so describe, describe your trip in one word. Oh, that's, that's you know, that's a tough question, but if you're going to confine... Three words, three words? Quit. <laughs> <laughs> Quinn, if you're going to confine me to one word, uh, I would say um, it's fair to say that uh, I was inspired, mm-hmm. inspired by um, by the people that we worked with, by the people, the 
people that we came across by volunteers from our organization and, and from other organizations and the way that they were responding to this uh, horrific humanitarian crisis. Mm. I was inspired by them. Um, and uh, I guess I came back renewed in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. What sort of um, stuff did you see there, like refugee-wise? Like, yeah. um, you know, it's funny, the, the time we were there, <laughs> seeing as Ukrainian, the Orthodox Easter was coming up, there were a lot of people that were not leaving Ukraine at that point in time. They were going back in the war, hmm. and, and this is towards the end of April. The war had kind of reached a, a stalemate in, in the west in western Ukraine, yeah, and was was about to heat up in eastern Ukraine. Yeah, because like this was just after the Bucha atrocities were coming exactly. to light, right? Yes, and like Russia was getting pushed back from Kiev. I don't know, like if they were still in that region at that time. And that, I guess that leads to my next question of, did you hear any sounds of war or anything? Did not. Did not, yeah. Did not. One of the, in the World Central Kitchen had a spot in in uh, Lviv that was hit by a, by a missile. Oh, wow. Um, there were several people injured. Um, no one died, no one, none, none of the kitchen employees mm -hmm. died. Um, and they had the, a different kitchen set up the next day. So, but we did not. We were not close. And and in fact, you know, some people ask me, "Well, weren't you afraid?" Well, we were in a NATO country. Yeah. And, and uh, I have to think that that, if there's anything that represents a, a safe place over in that part of the world, it would be being in a NATO country. Do you think there's any chance Putin? would like to um, invade any NATO country? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a carpenter, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I read the newspaper yeah. like everybody else. I'm not even going to speculate about that because uh, and, and it just, just doesn't make sense for me to talk about something I, I don't know about. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Are there any like happier stories? Like I remember, like before this, you were telling me some details, and you mentioned a guy in a bunny who was greeting little children passing the border. Right. Can you tell me a bit about that? Sure, sure. Uh, we came across some, as I said, you know, uh, people that inspired me, uh, inspired, and and one of these was um, a guy named Ben Dusing. He's from Kentucky. He's a lawyer from Kentucky. It had been a federal prosecutor at one point. And he showed up there, um, and I guess he's uh, he's a flamboyant kind of person. And someone had this <coughs> excuse me. Mm -hmm. Someone had this huge bunny outfit, and like the, the the whole thing, like with feet and hands and head. And yeah. <laughs> so pink bunny outfit, and it's Easter time, right? Yeah. So he went to the you know the place where. The, with the pedestrian crossing. If you're coming from Ukraine into Poland, he went to that spot where the people were walking out with their with their children and their suitcases and their grandma and, you know, all that stuff. And he would, like, open his arms and, like, and the kids would go running to him and they'd be, you know... And I don't, who knows what those, you know, some of those children yeah. have been through horrific things and other other children were, you know, they they've just had 
had their lives uprooted, but they hadn't been involved in the war. Lots of different situations, but they would uh, uh, they broke into s smiles and um, and oftentimes their their mothers or their grandmother with them would break into tears at the same time because they'd gotten to a place where they knew they were safe hmm. and where they knew their child was safe. Yeah. Are there any more stories you would like to share? Oh, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, there was a story, there's a woman that we met as we were, uh, the day before we left, and we met her in, in Krakow, the, the, the Poles pronounce that Krakow, beautiful city. I swear, the Poles got some problems with that. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful city, yeah. and, uh, and there we met, uh, it was actually through a contact that I have in Hanover, a Russian mm -hmm. woman who'd been to law school with this woman that we met in Poland. Now, her name, the woman in Poland, is Kathy Stickle. She's a, from California, mm -hmm. was trained in the Army as a combat lifesaver. That's like a super-duper EMP yeah. kind of person. And uh, she was about to take her bar exams in California when the war broke out, and she packed up her stuff and, and headed to Poland. And she's been there ever since. Uh, she can't picture doing anything else right now and has been getting more and more support from people including myself and, and other people in this town we just sent her a uh, hundred what they call tactical first aid kits these are they don't have like band-aids like like you and I would have with the, with the little bunnies on them they're like for patching holes in people uh -huh. and for uh, they have bleed stop powder, for instance, uh, for gaping wounds and you know that kind of stuff. Yeah, and tourniquets. Yeah, we don't we don't need to talk about right. the details so, of this. <laughs> so we just sent her, raised the money, and, and uh, purchased a hundred of these tactical first aid kits, and and they're um, on their way to her to her now. But she drives into Ukraine most every day with supplies, medical equipment, and food. Mm -hmm. Maybe diapers for kids, uh, and comes out with uh, with people evacuees. That's what she's primarily that, doing. That's incredible. Yeah, and she's working uh, in the in eastern Poland, where where you know she's right where the th things are happening, and and um, because she was in the army, um, she she was able to team up with some of her combat veterans from that part. She also happens to be fluid in Ukrainian, in Russian rather, not Ukrainian, mm -hmm. but most of Like a lot of people speak right. Russian. So she's going there and has developed this network of people and they're working directly with the, with the Ukrainian military commanders like, what do you need? And they'll bring, if they can, they'll bring what those people need to them on mm -hmm. very near, you know, just behind front lines and taking, evacuating people who need to get out. So um, I, I remember one story she said she was at this Ukrainian checkpoint in Kershaw, which has, you know, been in the news recently. And the Russians are on the other side, but she has some people she wants to get out of there. And the Ukrainians say, you shouldn't go there. And she said, but I want to get some people out. I have some people over mm -hmm. there I want to get out. And they say, well, 
take you could take a chance and, and if you're lucky and they don't want you there they'll fire a warning shot so she heads out through this open across this bridge driving like a bat out of Hades and um, they fire the Russians fire a warning shot she says okay she turns around and comes back and we said to her Kathy don't isn't that kind of crazy doing that <laughs> she said well I didn't have anyone with me or I wouldn't have done it <laughs> so I mean she's that kind of person yeah uh, fearless she doesn't fear for herself she fears for others you know there was a story in New York magazine about this about this woman just like a week or two ago and and apparently and I, we didn't know this at the time but apparently she had some kind of uh, concussion while rappelling in in, mm-hmm. in training and uh, she said that her <laughs> her life had ended and that everything from then on was gravy so she apparently is not afraid Hmm. What were what were the uh, reactions of the people coming over the border? Um, relief, in, yeah. in many cases, uh, some of them were just plain exhausted. Um, yeah, that makes sense. One of the one of our uh, because I was working in the kitchen most of mm-hmm. my time, Peter and I, um, we weren't working directly yeah. with refugees, so I, I can't speak to that, but. We we lived with other people who did, and and um, uh, there's a woman who was a, a nurse who worked in the women and children's tent at the border, and she said you could see the people that would they would come in and they would their their shoulders would be tight and they would be tensed up, and she got to bring some food to them. She, she could, because she was a nurse, she could take care of any medical needs they had or, or simple medical needs. But they would sit there in the tent and they would get a plate of hot food and and she said you could see them transform, you know, into begin to relax, begin to think yeah. about what their next step could be because what all they'd wanted at that point was to get the heck out yeah. of, out of Ukraine. And get away from the fighting, and get their children to a safe place. Mm-hmm. And once they'd done that, then now they <laughs> they could the the worst of the burden was off them. And and she could she saw them transform themselves in front of her eyes. Mm-hmm. Like what type of food did you make there? Like how many meals did you make a day at the kitchen? The kitchen. Uh, was making 30,000 meals a day. It's not the only kitchen that this outfit, World Central Kitchen, has. And they have quite a few. This this might have been the biggest one that mm-hmm. they have in Eastern Poland. Um, because of my uh, culinary abilities, I was assigned the job of making sandwiches, not cooking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they had some actually uh, really good cooks. Uh, uh, one of these apparently was a TV personality on... Chop Chef or something like that. His name is Mark Murphy. Um, I haven't looked him up, but he was there. He'd been there when when I arrived. He'd been there for seven weeks, working every every seven days a week uh, for probably eleven or twelve hours a day, um, full of energy. And they were making fabulous food over there. I mean, the chicken that they cooked was perfect. The beef stew they cooked was perfect. Yeah. You know, we got to have it for lunch, you know, <laughs> um, whatever whatever they were cooking for that day. Um, really good food. 
And they were proud of the fact. It wasn't an accident that it was good food. That's part of the deal. You know, you give people food that can sustain them and, and taste good and can, it's restorative. It restores you. Were any of the people uh, coming across the border injured or anything? Um, there were some minor in- injuries, yeah. um, I, I gather. They were taken care of by the medical people in the medical tents. Yeah. Um, I didn't have direct contact with them. Uh, hmm. And there were also people that were coming through on car in, like, in yeah. cars. And uh, most of the people that walked through the border had come by bus or train or something, and, and often... Um, they were leaving their husband on the on the on the Ukrainian side, and so families were, you know, breaking up right there on the Ukrainian side of the border. The husband or father headed back to because there well, was be, because they were going back yeah, to to fight. Yeah, because there was also there was also an order where like men eighteen through sixty were required to um, right. fight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're fighting. Yeah. It's a country fighting for yeah, its, it's life. It's, it's a horrific situation yeah. that like the man has to break away from his family. Yeah. I think it's understandable. Was there any uh, foreign volunteers coming over to fight? Did you see any? Um, I, I didn't see any who had come to fight. Um, no. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I wouldn't have. They wouldn't have been reporting to the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. This is, That's a whole interesting story. And... Yeah. and uh, I know what I what I read, you know, so you, you look yeah. it up. <laughs> Were there is there any um, other stories you would like to share? Oh well, there's a lot. I'm guessing, right? Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there were um, in the kitchen. There were there were people from really. There were a lot of Americans, mm-hmm. uh, um, which is good because we could communicate in English. There were a bunch of. Uh, Spaniards. There was a Russian logistics guy from who was living in Spain. Clearly, he didn't think this was a good idea to mm-hmm. to for Russia to invade Ukraine. There, there were uh, there were Poles. There was a Polish uh, woman, um, a single mom actually, who was living in Northern Ireland. She she spoke English with a with a brogue. <laughs> I love the Irish accents. So, well, uh, partly you know, uh, I guess it was a Polish. Irish brogue, so with a Polish accent, and um, she was a cleaning lady in in uh, in Northern Ireland, had a business there, and she just felt like she had to do something, so she came and took a vacation from her job and and uh, and worked in the kitchen, full of energy, uh, full of life. Um, there were Ukrainians who had escaped the war who were working in the kitchen. Um, there were. Uh, an English guy. There was a a, a lady a beat cop from Denver. You know, there was a, she was wild. Her name was Snow, and she kept things. You know, she kept yeah. us all running. Uh, wonderful woman. Um, there were professional cooks in our, in our group. Uh, retired people like myself. Um, there was a ex uh, a marine combat photographer. You know there. All kinds of All people. All types I, of people. Yeah. Sound like amazing people. Here's a here's a here's a story. Here's a there's a guy. His name is Nathaniel Frederick. He was from this tiny little town in Iowa. I mean, if you think Walpole is small, this 
This town, I looked it up after, after I came back, 305 souls live in this town, right? And he, his cousin, he and his cousin have a cafe there. But I think his family was originally from Eastern Europe somewhere, and he had contacts in, in, in Ukraine. And they said, they asked him if he could purchase a certain kind of drone that has thermal imaging and, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, something that would be useful to the military. And he said, yeah, I can. They sent him $10,000. He went to New York, bought the drone, and, and took it with him to Poland, where he got into Ukraine, delivered the, the $10,000 drone. And I said, well, did you like check that? He said, no, I wasn't leaving, letting that thing out of my sight. I put it in the overhead compartment. <laughs> he had first checked with the, with the airline, said, I'm bringing this drone uh, and I need to put it in. Yeah. And I said, as long as the batteries aren't in it, you can put it in the overhead compartment. <laughs> and that's what he did. And this, this guy has a, a little cafe in, in this tiny little town called Fertile, Iowa. But he's up in Ukraine. Yeah. yeah. And, he, and he was at the kitchen because he thought, well, while I'm here, I might as well do something else, spend, spend a few days helping people make food, because he was a, a food guy, right? He, he made food at the restaurant. How long were you there for? Ten days, total of ten days. Mm -hmm. And it spanned, those ten days spanned the two, the two Easters, the our Easter, you'd say. And the orthodoxy. How did you sign up for this? Sign up online. Well, World Central Kitchen. It's like everybody who signs up, like, how did you get to Ukraine? Um, well, bought an expensive airplane ticket. We flew from uh, Logan to Amsterdam and then got a flight from Amsterdam to Krakow and then uh, rented a car mm -hmm. and drove to the eastern border, which has been where we started at work. So that's how we got to... We flew most of the way and drove for like two and a half hours. Yeah. Is there any closing things you would like to say? Well, I mean, one of the things... Um, one of the things that this guy who started the World Central Kitchen, who's now a famous man, Jose Andres is his name, he said, um, it's not rocket science. You can, you can, it, it's not rocket science to help other people. And one way to do it is by feeding them, but another way is by helping the little old lady across the street or being kind to your friends or just being a good human being. You know, it's not rocket science. And I think that's a, that's a really important lesson that uh, we can all be reminded of. Uh, it's not hard. Great words. Yeah. Thank you, Dennis. Yeah, you bet. My pleasure, Dennis. <laughs> and it's time. good to see you again. You too, you too. Good to be back in the U.S. too. <laughs>